wants to speak to all of us, whatever your family situation. As we seek to to lead rooted, planted, and fruitful lives, one of the ways we can do that is to root our children in the truth of the gospel and to uh, plant families here, support and encourage them, and to be fruitful in inspiring faith in the next generation. So as I, ho- I hope you'll see this is for all of us as a church community. And I can see a couple of children and young people around this morning. So I'll, uh, if you're in primary school age or younger, pop up your hand. If you're in primary school age or younger, that means you are school year six or below. Okay, you guys with your hands up. I have a special prize and competition for you this morning. I have 10 sheets here and 10 prizes. If you'd like to come and collect one, and you can fill that in as it's going. Now, with parents, they may need help with some of the ones. They're not all easy. But uh, if you want to grab a sheet and bring it to me after the service, I'll have a prize for you. There are colors in the pots at the back. There's coloring to do, and there's all sorts in there. Okay, whilst we're doing that, if you want to turn your Bibles, um, we're looking at Deuteronomy 6. If you don't have your Bible with you, don't worry. The words will be on the screen. So Deuteronomy 6, and I'm starting to read at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now let me give you a little bit of context about what's going on here. This is Moses' farewell speech to Israel. They're camped on the plains of Moab just outside the promised land. And they're about to enter Canaan and they're going to battle the Canaanites. But Moses has been told he won't be going. He won't be entering the promised land. So how does he decide to prepare God's people for what's up ahead. They're going to face many difficulties, many battles. How does he prepare them? What military strategy does he give them? The answer is no military strategy, none at all. He knows what's really important. Moses focuses on what's really important. He's seen that time, time and time again, the battle belongs to the Lord. And so rather than talking about military strategy, Moses says, put your all your heart, your soul, and your strength on obeying the Lord, and it will go well with you. Moses knows the greatest gift he can give the next generation is to remind them once again to be faithful to God, to fear and obey him, and to teach their children to do the same. Then it will go well with them. So it says in verse 7, impress these things on your children. And I want to ask, following Moses' example, Is there any greater gift we could give our children and young people than to share our faith with them? What could be more important than that? Well, we all want to pass financial security on to our children and young people. We all want them to have wonderful opportunities to do many hobbies, to enjoy lots of different activities. We want them to succeed in education. We want these things for them. But is there anything greater than passing on our faith that they would come to know and love Jesus for themselves? And we live in a very secular age uh, now in in this country, don't we? Um, 
don't know if you've noticed uh, much around that. Um, I, I, I heard one story particularly as a about a vicar who visited his local secondary school to teach her a lesson. And he asked one boy, well, tell me, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And the boy uh, replied, it wasn't me, I promise. So he's concerned about this, and he spoke to the teacher and said, can you believe this? The teacher said, well, I know Johnny, and he wouldn't tell lies. He didn't knock down the wall. And so finally, he wrote to his board of diocese and, and, and explained the issue. And they wrote back saying, there's no need to make an issue of this. The board will pay for the damage and we'll call it vandalism. Okay. Don't worry, that's not a true story. But it, it is true to say that um, the, the spiritual inheritance for many children and young people today, um, they're not given what, uh, what may have been given um, to us or to, uh, to our mums and dads going back. That actually, there's, there's, young people don't always have much knowledge about the Bible, about a Christian faith. Um, I work with STEP in local secondary schools. It's a privilege. We go into 12 local secondary schools in St. Albans and Harpenden, and we have the opportunity to share about the Christian faith in those schools. And I remember I was in a year seven lesson about the resurrection of Jesus. We were looking at the story of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and drawing parallels with what happened to Jesus between Aslan and Jesus. And it dawned on me that, that half of the room had genuinely no idea that Jesus came back from the dead. They, they just never th even thought about that before. They'd either never heard it. And so there's half of these year sevens just shocked when Aslan appeared and came back from the dead because they had no idea that it was coming. And it was, it was wonderful to experience their emotions of hope and, and things, but also it hit me, wow, these young people don't even know that Jesus came back from the dead in year seven. And when I chat to Christian young people here at the church, um, and I chat to parents, it's amazing the pressure that young people are under. I, I know young people who uh, are called homophobic just for saying they're a Christian. I'm not really sure why those two things have to go together. I know young people who uh, are the only person in their RE uh, class when they stand up and say, actually, yeah, I, I believe in God, I'm a Christian. And they're the sole voice in the room willing to, to say that. Just recently, I, I know a parent who um, actually contacted her school because uh, of the work that their, their young person had been doing seemed to be so biased against the Christian faith. It was a very strange piece of work they were being asked to, asked to do in the RE class. It's difficult. It's really tough for young people at the moment in schools. So if it was true for Moses, how much more is it even more true for us today? That there's no greater gift we can do than to support our children and young people and share our faith with them. It was a great preacher and evangelist, Billy Graham, who said, the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things one has accumulated in life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. I don't know about you, but I think this is a shared responsibility. It's an old African proverb uh, that it says, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise a child. And when we read these verses in Deuteronomy 6, that would have been the culture that Moses was addressing the people with. He wasn't talking to individual parents. He was talking to the faith community, God's people as a whole, saying, pass on your faith to the next generation. I think it's a great shame that much of our, our modern society is very, often very individualistic. I don't know if you've noticed, we, we tend to keep to ourselves. Have you ever heard a parent say something like, don't you tell me how to raise my child? It's funny that, isn't it? I feel like, I have, I feel like exactly the opposite. 
feel like I need all the help I can get. <laughs> you know, come on, yes, please tell me how to raise my child. Tell, him how, tell me how to get him to sleep through the night, please. So here at Forest Town Church, we have the opportunity to be different to that. The opportunity, what if we as a church community had a shared responsibility? What if we helped each other? I have Anglican roots, so one of the things that's said in an, in a, an Anglican baptism service is a wonderful moment where the whole church makes a promise to support the parents in raising the child um, to know the Christian faith. I think that's a wonderful promise. What if we lived out that promise to support parents? I'm not fishing for babysitting offers here, although they're always welcome. I'm talking about supporting them. What about if we ask questions? How's it going? How are you, how are you doing with parenting and disciplining your children? How, how's that going? How are you doing with, uh, with, with raising them in, in, in terms of Bible study? What does it look like for you as a family? Questions like that, helping and supporting each other. So Deuteronomy 6 places this call on us together that we might all raise our children and young people to know the Lord. And the question then follows, well, how? How are we to do that? Well, I think verse 7 to 9 give us some clues on this. Moses tells the people to talk about their faith when they sit, walk along the road, lie down, and get up. In other words, all of the time. It's hard to think of a moment when you're not either sitting down, moving, lying down, or getting up. <laughs> He's saying all of the time. And then he says to do it publicly, not privately, you know, with messages that, that they wear, put on their door frames. He's saying this isn't a private matter, it's a public matter to talk about Jesus, talk about your faith. So he's saying communicate it with your whole life. Not, don't keep it a secret. Okay, to, to illustrate the next point, I'm going to need a few volunteers here. We're going to do a bit of a game, uh, get a bit of interactivity. Um, it, it, volunteers can be any age, but I, can I have five or six people? Yes, yeah, Shane, you can go. If you could come up, five or six people would be great. They can be any age, and I think um, it would be great to have a few, of the, uh, a few adults as well. We've got one. Hands up, you join me. Okay, yeah, we'll try number two. Dad, you might want to come and help a little bit here. That's okay. Okay, can I have a few more? We'll need at least three. Any age, any age. Hands up, you can go. Yeah, good man talks. Well done. Three, two more. Yes, go for it. Come up. Okay, you're gonna, we'll have the Egal family. Well done. Excellent. Okay, Noel, you're going to be the last one, mate. I'm going to get you up. You stand in the back, okay? So what I need you guys to do, Noel, you're going to stand in the middle there, the last one. Brilliant. I need you guys to spread out from here to Noel, and I need you to face Noel, okay? So spread along, okay? Shane, you can come and be first. Come and be, come and be this end of it, it's all right? Okay. That's it. So that's brilliant. And then just fill in the gap. That's it. I need you to face Noel. Now, those who came on, okay, Shane, you're spot on coming in here. That's it. Great. So those who are, who are on the leadership weekend away will, uh, will recognize this game. It was an absolute favorite. Um, so, Noel, if you want to turn around and face the coffee area, what's going to happen is I'm going to whisper something to Shane, and Shane's going to act it out for the next person. And then they're going to act it out for the next person, and so on until Tox acts it out to Noel. Noel's got a job. He's going to see if he can guess what this thing is. So, Shane, you're going to start us off here. So no, no peeking, everyone else. Wait until you get a tap on the shoulder to turn around. I'm going to move the microphone out of the way here. Fishing? Yes, excellent. Give a round of applause. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thank you, my volunteers. You were brilliant. Noel, how on earth did you get that? Okay. Um, 
Okay, what's the point in that, uh, that game? Now, you can, uh, we're just doing emotion there, but um, you can imagine those as the generations, okay? You can imagine that instead of passing on an action, fishing, passing on our faith, generation to generation. And so you can also imagine that when it goes a little bit off in one place, it kind of gets copied and imitated down the line, okay? Fortunately, Noel could identify it still what it was going on there. But it would, it would change a little bit as it went on. And in that way, actually, children and young people, they imitate what they see a lot, don't they? Especially when they're younger. There's a lot of copying. Um, I know my, my brother was horrified when his, his daughter, my niece, came in one from playing one day, and she just took her coat off and threw it onto the floor in the, in the lounge. And she was like, oh. And he was like, oh, well, unbelievable. I can't believe she did that. And he was about to tell her off when he realized, hang on a minute, every time when I come home from work, I always take my coat off and just top it onto the lounge. And he realized that she just copied what she saw, just copied her dad. And that's where she got it from. Children and young people imitate what they see. And the point I'm making is that we need to give them living examples of faith to imitate and copy. You may feel like, actually, well, my, private, my, my faith is more of a private matter. But actually, for, for young children, young people, they need to have living examples to join in with, to imitate, to copy, to understand. You know, Nathan loves to vacuum. I don't know why, but it, it seems to be because he saw mum and, and dad pull around the hoover, and so he loves to pull around the hoover. And so we, have, we got him a little hoover to pull around. Hmm. I think the best example of this um, that, that came to mind was actually... Um, when Brian shared a testimony in church. I remember, so it was after Brian, those people who were here will remember, he'd had his motorbike accident. And he got up just to share, really honestly, about how he, how he kind of maybe got some stuff wrong with, with where he was at, but he made a repentance, say, actually, God, I, you know, I want to thank you for your goodness to me, even in this. I told, I told him at the time that actually that did more youth work than my five, six years, of, uh, four or five years of working with Michael, that moment of him just honestly sharing, look, this is my, my faith, my relationship with God, and I, I want to share that publicly. It was an amazing moment. Brian, I'm, I, I hope to be the sort of dad like that, like that, which will share my faith in that way for my kids. It's really awesome. So let's, let's do that. Let's give them opportunities to imitate what a relationship with God looks like. So we, we've heard how the greatest gift we can give our children is to pass on our faith to them, and that it's a shared responsibility for all of us. And they need examples to, to, to copy, to emulate. I want to look now at, at God's particular heart for young people. So um, turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, to Mark chapter 10. And we're just going to have a, a quick look through verses 13 to 16. And so it says this, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. There was a few answers in there, guys, who were working on the sheets. So here's the scene. Jesus has just come back from another showdown with the Pharisees, and he's tired, and they were quizzing him about uh, divorce and various things. And so you can imagine the disciples are feeling quite 
protective of their master. They're trying to, to stop the crowds from bothering Jesus. And you can imagine their thought train. Who do these parents think they are? You just can't just walk up to Jesus and say, oh, pray for my children, pray for my children. What have they done to deserve it? And so on and so on. And before we judge the disciples too harshly, there was, um, uh, in that culture of the day, children were sort of thought of as really as just property belonging to their parents. In fact, there was a Roman law, and it was called um, uh, patra potestas, which meant that a father even had the right to inflict capital punishment on their child without question. There's a few parents' eyes who lit up there at that moment. That's not allowed anymore, okay? <laughs> that's gone. <laughs> but uh, that's, that was the culture of the day. And I want you to notice Jesus' response uh, instead in this passage. Remember, Jesus is the exact image of the Father. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. And he shows us God's welcoming heart towards children and young people. He's angry with the disciples. He says, let the children come. Let them come to me. He prays for them. He blesses them. And he teaches us a spiritual lesson through them. And I want to highlight just three quick things which we can learn about God's heart for children and young people through Jesus' actions. And the first one is that God wants everyone to know him. He wants to welcome everyone. He loves children and young people because he wants to welcome everyone. God is a welcoming God. There's no prejudice with God. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're young, whether you're old, from every background and ethnicity, God wants you. He wants to welcome you. And the disciples can't cope with that. So Jesus gets angry with them. And this word indignant, it's actually quite strong. It's sort of like, um, if you know the story, the time when Jesus was, was angry with the Pharisees for refusing to say whether it was right to do good on the Sabbath or not. It's that strong. And why was Jesus angry? Well, I think it's because he recognizes something the disciples don't. He recognizes that the disciples were no better than those little children. And this applies for all of us. We need to remember that when we came to God, we brought nothing except our sin. We were utterly helpless, in need of a savior, in need of a rescuer. We could add nothing. We just brought ourselves. So why would we put conditions on our children and young people when Jesus died to remove all the conditions for us? Why would we turn away those God wants to welcome? And perhaps you're new to church. Perhaps you've never uh, heard this before. This is the great news of the Christian faith, that God wants to take you right as you are. All of the flaws, all of the stuff, he wants to take you right as you are. He wants to wash you clean, forgive you, and give you a new start. He wants to put his spirit in you. And if you will accept him as your Lord, as your Savior, he will give you that new start, hope of heaven, and he will come and live in you. It's an incredible piece of news, and it's, it's, it means that really there's no difference between the children and the disciples. So number one, God is a welcoming God. Number two, the second reason that God especially loves children and young people, is that if there's any bias in heaven, then it's always towards the things that are overlooked by this world. That's, if there's any bias, it's always that way. The disciples didn't get this. They counted children as somehow second-class citizens. It's like um, when the preacher D.L. Moody, he returned from, from preaching and, and, his, and, and said that there'd been two and a half conversions. And so his host said, oh, um, two adults and a child, I suppose. But Moody said, no, two children and an adult. See, the children gave their whole lives to God. The adult only had half of his left to give. 
He'd got something there, actually. He'd got something that, that didn't think of children as somehow second class. And so if there's any bias in heaven, it's towards the other way around, the way that things are overlooked by this world. It's the poor, it's the meek, and it's the young that heaven might prioritize. And finally, Jesus teaches us a spiritual lesson through the eyes of a child. So verse 15, he says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What does Jesus mean by this? Is he trying to say somehow that children are pure and innocent and that only they can really uh, receive heaven? Well, no. If any of you um, have children of your own or know children of your own, then we know they're not pure and innocent. Um, so and if anyone's ever witnessed one of Nathan's tantrums, you'll know that they're not pure and innocent. So it's not what he's saying. There's something else about children which Jesus is commending here. And I think that is a childlike faith. See, children are dependent. They're vulnerable. They're very trusting. They can even be a little bit naive at times. But they have a simple, trusting, childlike faith. God loves this because he responds to faith. In fact, the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And as I get older, often I find my faith gets more and more cluttered with uh, complications, with tones of gray, with questions. And I need to be brought back to a simple, childlike faith that trusts in my father. A friend of mine brought his uh, young son up to know that God heals today. And his younger son saw people prayed for at church and in their home. And so when he went to the supermarket... It was only natural for him to assume that God would heal in the supermarket. And so when he's walking with his dad, he's there pointing out, what's wrong with him? We need to go and pray for him. What's wrong with him? And his dad was like, shh, shh, it's not as simple as that. We, you can't just point at people. And he, he had a way, he had a point. It could be rude. But the son's natural instinct was to say, why don't we just go and pray for people out there? Why, why, you know, why not? He had a simple childlike faith. And, he, and his dad came away profoundly challenged, being, well, you know, maybe he was right. How are we doing with this? How are you doing with your, your simple childlike faith? Has it become cluttered with lots of tones of gray and questions? And questions aren't a bad thing. But we want to keep the simplicity of knowing that God is our Father. We are a child of God, and we can trust in Him. If you want to receive prayer at the end of the service, there'll be an opportunity just to come over and, um, to where the sofas are, and someone will come and pray with you. If you'd like to some prayer for that. If anything I've shared uh, this morning has resonated with you, if you want to know more, do come and talk to me afterwards when we go for coffee. Or should I just take a moment now just to pray for all of us?